Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for that beautiful truth that we have just sung. We thank you that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved other than the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray right now that that is the name that would be exalted through your word as Daniel comes to preach your word to us this morning, that we would pay attention and humble ourselves under it, God. You have a word for us today. And so, God, I pray you'd find a church that is hungry to know you more this morning, that is hungry to seek your face this morning, that desires you to speak to them this morning. God, we are a people in desperate need of a touch of glory. And so, God, I ask in Jesus' name that any distractions, any anxiety from this week, we would cast that anxiety on you because you care for us right now. And that, God, we would be able to listen without distraction right now. Say what you want to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Well, it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today our guest preacher from the Iglesia Doxa church plant that is happening and is in the core group phase right now. And you uh, have gotten to know him a little bit from the few times that he's been here to preach. But Daniel Perret will be coming to bring God's word to us this morning. And he's here with his wife, Catherine, and their beautiful children. And we're going to show you a slide here for Iglesia Doxa. Um, They're right now, as I said, in the core group building phase, much like we were uh, even a year ago. And uh, they need our prayers, they need our support, and if you're wondering about how to be praying for this church plan, or we want to be open-handed, this is a kingdom mindset, if you're like, you know what, maybe the Lord's calling me to go and join that church plan, to be a part of that core group, and be a part of something new, uh, then email info at agleesdoxa.ca, and they've got their website up there, and Daniel or Eric, the other planting pastor, will be... um, able to get in touch with you. I also want to say on March 3rd, write this night down, on March 3rd at 7 p.m. will be their next vision night. That's Saturday night, March 3rd at 7 p.m. And that's going to be at the south shore of Montreal in Broussard. So please be in prayer for that. We're expecting for what's ahead, brother. We love you and we're looking forward to seeing what God has to say through you this morning. Let's welcome Daniel here this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So it's always a privilege to be here. It's a great joy. And uh, I first want to say hello from the whole core group from um, Iglesia Doxa. Uh, it's, it's just so encouraging to have a sister church that is near, near us because sometimes we can feel just so alone in our little place, and we're like, well, we are in Quebec, and, uh, but who's there around us? And, but you guys are here, are here and, and, and we're close, and we know that you are praying, church, and we know that uh, you are praying for us, and that gave us such gr- uh, great encouragement. So thank you for doing that. Uh, it means a lot to us. There is a lot of going on also. Um, like Ray said, uh, we begin our Discover Docs and Night, which are kind of our uh, vision night. And uh, it takes place every two weeks. And uh, the last time we were 22 people, which, which, which was very encouraging for us. Because we are just a small core group, and we are trying to plant in a place where we don't know anyone. Like, 
we can't name a name, okay? So we are like, okay, that needs to be a God thing. Every church is a God thing, but we need you, Lord, to do a miracle there. So we are believing for that. And also something very excited, uh, uh, that we are very excited about, is the fact that we are going to be on WCHP, which is a Christian radio in Montreal area, uh, beginning in April, which is awesome because we are trying to get the word out that, uh, so, so that people will know that we are on the South Shore. Uh, so please pray uh, for us as we continue to trust God for the miracle of seeing a church planted on the South Shore of Montreal. And we believe that Jesus is building his church. He will send us the sheep that he wants us to pasture and that we, can just, we just have to trust him to do that. So, that, so that's awesome. So let, now uh, let's get in the word of God right away. And if you don't have a Bible, just please raise your hand. There will be ushers uh, that will be there to give you the word of God. You know, that's not just a, uh, a Bible in the sense that it's not just a book. This is the, the very word of God giving to us. And we want, we want you to be able to follow with us, to read uh, as, we, as we are preaching from the word of God. And we believe that as we do that, life gets changed because there is power in the word of God when the Holy Spirit decides to apply that in our hearts. So, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and you will get a copy of the, uh, of the Bible um, given you by the ushers. So, uh, you can open your Bible in Matthew chapter 5, and we are going to read uh, the first five verses. So, Matthew chapter 5, and we are going to read the, five, the first five verses. I'm giving you a, a little bit of time. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, so not too hard to find, right? Okay, so it begins by seeing this, seeing the crowd. He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciple came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Please join me in prayer right now. Lord God, that's your word. And that's the sword of your spirit. Lord, we are here for you this morning. This is not our thing. This is not our service. We are here to please you. So please, Lord, will you um, use me to preach your, world, your word boldly and with the unction of your Holy Spirit? Because with me and um, simply with with, with my gifting, Lord, there is nothing that can happen in any heart. But we want heart, heart change. We want your spirit to move in a mighty way. And we can't manufacture that. You need to come. We know that you're here. But would you, would you be pleased to come in a special way? And just, just revive. Revive our hearts, Lord. As we, as we read some passage of scripture that we know so well. But, but that still need to cut our heart. And then to be healed by the gospel. Would you do that this morning? 
I'm praying in Jesus' name, expectantly, Lord, that you will do it. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the title of my message this morning is Blessed Meekness. Blessed meekness. And we are continuing this morning in our series that Ray began last week uh, on the Beatitude. And the reason that we we read the first three Beatitudes is because each Beatitude is building on the preceding one. Okay? So that's not just like good moral that Jesus is saying or teaching here and there. Each beatitude is building on, the, on top of the preceding one. Jesus is very intentional in the order that he is teaching them. And each one is a step that will lead to the next one. So the first part of the Sermon on the Mount is uh, one of the, the most well-known passages from Scripture. And one of the reasons is that it's uh, everything that Jesus is teaching And that passage is in complete opposition to what the world would call the good life, right? That's, I mean, it's completely contrary to everything that you will find in most magazine or certainly in Oprah. Uh, you know, Jesus is teaching about an upside-down kingdom where the value system is totally inverted. And Jesus is saying, okay, so you want happiness, right? Everybody want that? Everybody want to be uh, having a blessed life? Well, let me show you how you can be blessed. But buckle up. Buckle up, because this is probably not the way that you imagine it's going to be. So the problem with passages uh, like that is that we, um, we sometimes get just familiar with those passages. We read them so many times that this cease to cut our hearts sometimes. And we, 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 we kind of, of say, well, that, that, that's, that's great. But we don't take Jesus' word so seriously. But Jesus was serious. And passages like this one, sometimes just we, we, we don't let them having the effect on our heart that they should have. But the truth is this portion of scripture, honestly, if you read it, it can be very scary. It can be very scary because it is supposed to make us stop and ask this very important question. Is it describing me right now? Is it describing me right now? So when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you can, you can, you, you can feel two conflicting emotions. First, you can feel fear. You can feel fear. The standard that Jesus is setting for us is not a simple suggestion. It's not just like, hey, it will be great if it will be that way. You should live the, your life that way. It will help a lot. No, it's not, it's not suggesting anything. It's a command to actually be the kind of person that is describing. And, well, I don't know about you, but if we are honest, we simply don't measure up. I don't measure up you probably don't measure up unless you are Jesus himself, okay? So there is a sense in which the Sermon on the Mount is crushing us. It, it, it destroys our pride and makes us realize that we are far from the spiritual giant that we sometimes think we are. We are not. We are dwarf in the kingdom of God. And we need those part of, of, of God's word to remember who we are. But, but when the beatitude have done this crushing work on us, if we are believer, 
if we are believers, it should lead us to experience deep comfort in our soul. Deep comfort, because then you realize that Jesus accomplished this perfect standard in your place. And that then died on the cross and took all of your filthiness and all of those failures that comes day after day. And he gave you his righteousness and his perfect obedience. And to know deep down, okay, not, not, not just with your head, but deep down in your soul that God now looks at you as if you had accomplished everything required here uh, I don't know about you, okay, but, but it gives me a very thankful heart, very thankful for the gospel, and fear is replaced by an awesome sense of peace because God is now my father. God is now my father, and I think it's so important, and I know that Ray did that last week, but it's so important that to repeat, if they are, we are all doomed, okay? I mean, Jesus... Why did you come, came, came on earth? If, if this is the way of salvation, no one stand a chance. So the Beatitudes are not the way to be safe. Why are they? Well, the Beatitude is the character that shall begin to take place in the heart of those who are saved in Christ. And so the Beatitudes are nothing less than Christ living his life through us. So this morning, let's look at the third beatitude. So read again with me verse 5. That says, blessed are the meek, for they shall be comforted. Uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. They shall inherit the hurt. So our first error this morning is blessed Blessed meekness, am I a meek person? Blessed meekness, am I a meek person? Are you a meek person? The, the very first thing we need to do here is to define what Jesus is talking about in, in this verse. Because the only problem is this. There is a Greek term here, okay, uh, that has that, been translated in, in most of your, uh, uh, in, the, in your Bible version. It might be meekness, but in other version, it might be gentleness. But the problem is that word, that word is so rich uh, in meaning that it has, it has many layers of signification. And that's why some of your translation, uh, you, in some of your translation, you may have fi find the word gentle. And that's not a bad word. That's not a, necessarily a bad translation. Yes, that's gentle. But once again, it, it just don't convey the whole idea very well. Because the Greek word translated by meekness or, or gentleness is actually pros. Pros, which means gentle, pleasant, and, and perfectly under control. Perfectly under control. So now get this, okay? The meek person is not a weak person without any conviction, okay? This is not. Being meek is not simply be about being nice, and I think we confound the two sometimes. We, we are in front of a nice person, and we're like, oh, that person is so meek. Well, I don't know if, if, if really that person is meek or if she is just a people pleaser. The thing is that 
the meekness that Jesus is talking about here is a meekness that comes from wanting to please God himself. So the meek person is not a people pleaser, but a God pleaser. It comes from wanting to please God, from that fear of the Lord that came in, in his heart and says, Lord, in everything that I'm doing, I want to be like you, and I want to please you. Being meek is about living in total surrender to the will of God. And I think that the best picture that I can give you this morning is uh, like if you end out uh, a blank contract uh, to God, but you already have signed your name at the end of the contract, okay? And you just end out the, that contract to God, and you say, well, God, fill it with whatever you want. Okay, God, your will is my will. So my name is already signed, fill it the way you want. That's what it means to live in total surrender to God. So the meek person is also someone who has his power under control. And he uses it at the right time and for the right reason. And uh, I don't know if anyone here read uh, The Chronicle of Narnia. Good book to read with your kids. A lot of, um, of great picture and a lot of, good, of great conversation that you can have with your kids afterward. And, uh, or maybe you have seen a movie, but really I think that C.S. Lewis did a great job in portraying meekness in the person of Aslan. I think both in the book and even in the movie, I think he did a great, uh, did a great job because Aslan is shown as a mighty lion. He represents just that mighty lion that can make the whole creation trembles as he roars. He's mighty. He's powerful. He's Aslan himself. But his power is perfectly matched with his gentleness and his self-control. And Aslan is a great picture of meekness. Why? Because ultimately, Aslan is a picture of Jesus Christ. Is a picture of Jesus Christ. So my question, once again, is, um, are you a meek person? Are you a meek person? I, and I think one of the ultimate tests is this. What makes you angry? Honestly, what makes you angry when your own uh, little kingdom where you are the king and the queen is under attack? Or when the name of Jesus Christ is being ridiculed and those who are supposed to serve his kingdom are serving themselves maybe instead of God and the sheep under the care. Or maybe we can get even more precise. Can you stay calm and composed when your name is being dragged in the mud? That's a real question. And sir, for real, I mean, can you stay calm and composed when your name is being dragged in the mud? The natural response is, of course not. I mean, why would people do that? I mean, I deserve respect. I deserve respect and I won't let anyone say anything bad about me. But the meek person is meek because the first two beatitudes have done their work in his life. He knows who he is. He is a poor sinner that has been broken over his sin. But he also knows that God loves him with a love that can be measured and that God won't let him go. So when you truly believe this truth, 
you can begin to experience the blessing of being meek. And listen, one of its main blessings is that the opinion of other is not so important to you anymore. You just kind of lose their grip over you. And there is a great quote by Tozer that I read. Well, Tozer, I think, just had a great quote, but that's one of those, okay? And he said, he said this, um, why are you angry when people call you a vile sinner? It was exactly what you were telling God about yourself last night. I mean, has it happened to you? I, I mean, it did happen to me a couple of times. I mean, you know, we can just play that game of spirituality where we're like, oh, Lord, uh, you know that I, I'm nothing without you and I don't deserve anything. And Lord, I'm such a sinner and I'm just a worm. And, and, and then you wake up the next morning and, and you just meet someone that says the same thing about you, but you get mad. You get mad like, oh, how dare you call me that? And, and, but but, I should, but the, you should be thankful. We should, we should be praising God like that person is agreeing with you. You've got someone that's angry with you, actually. So it means that you probably have good spiritual discernment, and so is that person. So you should be saying, well, we are doing like, we are getting there, step by step, Lord. Well, thank you. But, but, but we never, or almost never, uh, react like that. Why? Well, um, I don't know if you agree with that, but uh, it's so much easier to call ourselves a poor sinner than to hear others say the same. Is it true or not? So much easier to call ourselves a poor sinner than to hear other people say the same thing. And our problem is a lack of meekness. We've got a lack of meekness because the meek person is no longer controlled emotionally or externally by the opinion of others. Yes, that person loves people. Don't get me wrong. The meek person loves people, but he don't need them for his self-worth. And that's where the, 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 the fight is. They don't need other people for their self-worth. Why? Because the gospel has done this mighty work in his life where the only thing that truly matters is what God says about me or about you. That's the only thing that matters. In other words, the meek person is someone who is growing in his fear of the Lord. And as this happens, the fear of man is losing his grip over him. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. But I'm praying, oh Lord, please make me grow in the fear of you so that I will just, so that man will just. Uh, uh, the fear of men will just become less and less, that I will be able to, like Ed Welsh said, to love people more and need people less for the approval. So I want to be a meek, uh, a meek person, but are you a meek person? And if not, how can you become one? Well, that leads us to our second header, pursuing meekness, resembling Christ. Pursuing meekness, resembling Christ. So, like I said earlier, uh, each beatitude builds on top of the preceding one. And in order to become meek, 
Well, you need to start at square one. And if you're not, um, if you're not there, if, we're, uh, if you were not there uh, last week, I urge you to just go online and go listen to Ray's sermon as he preached through the first two Beatitudes. It will help you a lot uh, with, uh, with that message today and with the rest of the series also that is coming. But we first need to see ourselves as needy people. That's the first step. And stop pretending that we have it all together because we don't. And honestly, we're not fooling anyone. You think we're fooling anyone? I mean, people know that we don't have it all together. Even if we are pretending, we all struggle. We all struggle in different areas in our life. And the truth is that without faith in Jesus, we are lost. We are lost in our sins. And we are condemned to an eternity far removed from the loving presence of God. And that's true for every one of us. But then the realization takes place. Then there is a brokenness over our sins that takes place. You feel broken, and for the first time of your life, Jesus becomes so precious to you. You begin to mourn over your sin, and at the same time, a new joy, a solid joy takes place in your heart. That's, that's a paradox. Yes, that's a paradox where you realize that your sins are no small thing. You offended God himself. You offended the creator of the whole universe himself, but at the same time, you realize that this God loves you so much that he was willing to pay for all of your sins, past, present, and future, and now his invitation to you is come back to me. Come back to me, my child. Are you hearing his call this morning? There are people that are hearing this call maybe for the, f- for the first time and you need for the first time to respond to that call and to say, yes, Lord. Yes, I want you as my father. Yes, I believe in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ for my sin on the cross. I believe that he was raised on the third day to, so that as a proof that the father was, was, uh, was stamping his yes upon, upon his crucifixion and that now by faith in Jesus Christ, I can have God as my father. You can respond for the first time, but for some of you guys, the problem is just that you lost your first love and you still need to respond and say, yes, I want to come back to you, Lord. Yes, I'm doing all of those spiritual things. Yes, I'm still at at church, but Lord, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. My heart is not where I'm supposed to be, and I'm chasing after the wind, and I want that to stop, and now I want to get back to you. I want to respond to that call. You are my father, and I want you to be close to me, and I want me to be close to you. So listen, when that brokenness over sins take place, that meekness is simply the normal response. So let's say it like this, okay? The more your heart is grounded in the gospel, then the more you will experience meekness in your heart. Because the gospel is the fuel of meekness. The gospel is the fuel of meekness. So now realize this. The first two beatitudes, they deal with you, okay? 
You could deal with them alone in your room, in a sense. Alone with your, in your room with God and the Bible. And it, they are dealing with you. But meekness is about dealing with other people. In other words, meekness is expressed in the context of your relationship. Where you cannot think of yourself as a meek people if you spend your week alone in your room all the time. Meekness is expressed in your relationship. So our supreme example here, once again, is Jesus Christ. And I want you to picture that scene once again in your heart, okay? Imagine the scene of the crucifixion where he is unjustly accused. He is experiencing terrible pain. People are insulting him. People are just spitting on him. And, and, and now realize that at that very moment, he could have just destroyed them all by saying a single word. He could. But instead he just, he was praying for the forgiveness. How can you do that? How can he do that? So if meekness is showing love while having his power under perfect control, then what better example can we have than Christ himself? So listen, the way you interact in your relationship with others, and especially with difficult people, okay? Meekness in your life. So now, how can you pursue meekness in your life? How can you pursue meekness in your life? Well, let's get practical here, okay? Is there any hope first? Is there any hope for us? Well, if it's in your own strength, then nah. Absolutely not. You have no hope, but with Jesus living inside of you, yes, absolutely. There is great hope for all of us, but now be aware of something. The process of transformation in our character don't happen overnight, and that's where we struggle, and that's where I meet some people, and they are very struggling because they are... They are dealing with the process of sanctification uh, a bit like if they were dealing with the growth of their hair. In the sense that, uh, imagine that you get in front of the mirror, okay, on the morning, and you're just looking at you, and you're like, uh, I don't know, has it, has it grown since last night? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure, it doesn't seem like it, but, well, the fact is, they have, okay? They have grown since last night, but, but it may take you a couple of weeks to realize that. Uh, it's the same thing. God has a... Uh, with, with, with the process of sanctification and, and, and with meekness being recreated in your life as, as it takes place, God has provided different means of grace to help us grow into his resemblance. And they are not new. And they are not flashy. But they work. They work if you keep persisting in them. And I know we love the quick and easy fixes in our life, but spiritual growth don't work like that. It just don't. It just don't. So, in fact, it, uh, you will never arrive to full growth until you get to heaven. And that is called glorification. So, that's a lifetime process, but it is worth it. It is worth persisting. This is worth pursuing. Uh, why? Because Jesus tells us that growth in his resemblance equal blessedness. It equal happiness. And I don't know about you, but it sounds good to me. It certainly sounds good to me. So now, you won't grow in meekness unless you regularly feed on the word and spend time in prayer every day. And you know that. 
still, still we struggle with that. But we, you, need, you, you need to get in the word of God. That's the word of God. That's awesome. And it's at our disposal. We can read that. We can just learn that. We can read portions of scripture so that they are there when you need them. So read the word. Spend time with God every day in prayer. But let me give you also two other ways that the Holy Spirit will use to help you grow in your meekness. First, feed on the gospel every day. Feed on the gospel Every day. You are worse than you think you are. Just like Tim Keller said. You are worse than you think you are. But you are also far more loved than you feel you are. You never let go of the, of the gospel. You never get past the gospel. Never get used to the gospel. That's the message that I need to preach to my own heart every morning because I don't wake up every morning with my heart full and brimming with the gospel and just sometimes it can happen but I will tell you most of the morning, those are hard morning where I just resolve to my self-determination and I'm trying to do things by myself and I just forget the amazing good news of the gospel. So I need the gospel to be preached to my own heart every morning. And when we really, really feel how sinful we are, then we hear the amazing news of the love of God towards us and the seed of meekness is being sown. And just on a side note, uh, if you want to feed on the gospel every day, you should buy the book, A Gospel Primer by Milton Vinson. I don't know if you have this book, but that's such a great book. You've got like 31 days where a guy who taught at first, he was a pastor for a long time, but he was exhausted. And he taught that, uh, well, Basically, the gospel is the message you hear when you, go, when you come to Christ for the first time, but then you kind of move on to, you know, other things. And, uh, uh, but then he realized that he needed the gospel being preached to him every morning. So he produced that little booklet, and, that, and that, that's, that's awesome. So every day, for 31 days, he will give you a different facet of the gospel. that can, You can read that in probably less than five minutes and let, let it soak. Let it soak your soul into that truth and let it be real for you during that day. And just continue and continue until those truths are not just truth from, for, for your head but they become truth that shape your heart. You want a gospel shape heart. That's what you need. Uh, so buy this book, A Gospel Primary by Milton Vincent. Um, that, that will be a, a great way to start your day uh, by feeding on the gospel. A second way to grow in your meekness is to look for evidence of grace in the life of other people, uh, of other believers around you. Because it's so easy to actually uh, to see everything that is not working right, everything that is not uh, doing, uh, doing well in the life of other people. It's so easy to point out. And when, when, but, but when was the last time okay, that, that you actually took a time to go to someone to point them to an evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in their life? And you were doing that intentionally. 
Like, okay, this morning, I want to encourage people. I mean, you, you, you just don't know how much some people might just need that encouragement that this very morning, this very morning, that someone needs to point to them, well, there is that evidence of grace, that work of the Spirit that I can see clearly in your, li- in your life. And I just want you to be encouraged in that. You know what? Uh, it can be about their greater love for Jesus that, that's been shown. It can be their desire to serve others. It can be their growth in humility. It can be uh, their, their growth in patience and joy. All of those things point them. Ask the Holy Spirit, is there someone to be encouraged this morning? And go to that person and tell them. Because seeking the evidence of the work of the Spirit in someone can be so encouraging for them, but it also keeps ourselves from, from criticism, which is the, our default mode most of the time, and it helps us grow in meekness. So now, Let's look at the last part of our verse, which says this. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the hurt. I had a hard time with that in the first part. I was like just mixing up some verses together. So, but blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the hurt. That's the blessed promise. So that led us to our last part of our message. The blessed meekness, inheriting the hurt. Inheriting the hurt. So, now... This part is a bit intriguing, honestly. And I'm reading commentaries and all that, and it's a bit intriguing because it's talking about two realities, both a, a, a present reality and a future one. So let's talk first about the future part of this promise, okay? There comes a day when Jesus will come back, and no one's going to vote on that, okay? It will just happen. Whatever the thing seems right now, okay, even if it seems dark or it doesn't seem like it will happen, well, it will. It will happen. Jesus is coming back. And that's one of those things that we know, but we don't seem to be thinking about very much. But the Bible is clear. There is a time when Jesus will come back and it won't be in a discreet manner like the first time. Because, because this time... The Bible tells us in Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 7, that every eyes will see him. Why? Well, he is King Jesus. He is King Jesus. And he's coming back to reign on earth with everyone who will have placed their trust in him. And to be with him and under his reign forever will be the delight of those who know him as their Savior and Lord. But there is also a present reality about inheriting the hurt. And I want you to hear that quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones that said this, The meek already inherit the hurt in this life, in this way. A man who is truly meek is a man who is always satisfied. He is a man who is already content. So the meek is no longer chasing after the things of the world. He's already satisfied. He's got Jesus Christ. He's got Jesus Christ. It means that he is free to fully enjoy his life on this herd, whatever his condition. And in fact, I, I can say this. The meek is the only one who is truly able to enjoy God's gift because his happiness is no longer dependent on those things. And so many people are rich, and yet they possess nothing. 
You talk with them. You look at their life. You, 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 just, you just spend time and they, they just, they're, they're, they're just telling them what is, what's happening inside of their soul. And you realize that these people possess nothing. It's their things that possess them. They are never satisfied. Never satisfied. Always seeking for, for something more. For more so that they will be able to, to, to enjoy more. But at the end of the day, they are never able to enjoy anything. So is it you this morning? It can. Even if you don't consider yourself as a rich person, maybe you're chasing after that. And have you fallen into the trap that stuff or accomplishment or, or even people um, could really satisfy your soul? And I want you to be very honest because if it's you, then I want you to... I want you to, to know that you're chasing after the wind. That's what you're doing. You're simply chasing after the wind. Your satisfaction will always evade you because true and lasting satisfaction is found in Christ alone, period. Period. But other people are poor, and yet their soul is satisfied in God. You know, those are the ones who possess the world because the world no longer possesses them. They have learned to be thankful for the smallest things. I mean, the sun shining on their face, the flowers sprouting at, at, at spring, and the gift of each breath that God allows them to take. And, and, I, and I can remember when for the first time I gave my life to Christ, and, and Christ became precious for me. They heard for the first time. And I, and I was in a, I mean, in a bad uh, financial situation at that time, okay? So I was not, in the eyes of the world, I was not possessing anything, okay? But, but at the same time, it was the first time that I really got outside and I became amazed by a flower. I mean, honestly, I've seen that like uh, a million times, but, but then I was like, wow, that's awesome. Like, my God, my God created that, that small thing. And why? Maybe just for my enjoyment and, and for his enjoyment of that, 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 that that's awesome. And I begin to appreciate that. And, and then I look up and it, it was such a beautiful day. And I was like, wow, that, that's, that's a great day. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for that day. For the first time, I was not possessing a lot, but I felt like I was possessing the hurt because my father gave me all of those things to enjoy. And now the things were no longer possessing me. So I was able to enjoy them for what they truly are, gift of God. So now, as I'm concluding this message, we need to understand that the beatitude and the whole Sermon on the Mount, um, they, are, they are first meant to crush us, okay? And if you're here this morning and you're like, well, no big deal. Honestly, no big deal. I mean, I can do that. Then you missed what Jesus is asking of you in these passages. Because Jesus is not asking you to do your best most of the time. It demands perfect obedience to all of his commandments all of the time. So the beatitude are meant to make us realize that the standard is simply too high. 
It's just too high. Yes, we want to get there, absolutely. But at the same time, we are failing again and again and again. So that's when we fall on our knees and we plead for God's forgiveness and grace to obey. Because we can't do it on our own. And we feel that. We feel that. And now you know what? That's exactly where Jesus wants us to be. On our knees. Asking him. Pleading him. When we have been crushed by those impossible demons, Jesus is telling us, okay, okay, hey, now, look up. Look up. It's not about you. And see that I have accomplished every one of those requirements for you. I am the perfect Savior. Now come to me and you will find a rest for your soul and eternal life in my presence forever. So let's pray together. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your word, which is alive and powerful and active. I mean, you created the whole universe simply by speaking your word. And this morning, we are praying for a miracle just as great and powerful. I'm praying for a mighty move of your spirit, Lord, where you call everyone hearing my voice right now and create the miracle of new life in them. That you will call those that are wayward, those that are the prodigal, back home. And that they will feel life, your life, and your love for the first time as son of the living God. Lord Jesus, you are great. You are awesome, you are beautiful, you are powerful, and you are an awesome Savior. And we call on your name right now. Amen. Amen.